The following broadcast is brought to you by Sons of God International and Freedom Fellowship Church. Hello, and welcome to the prophetic voice of our time, where we focus on the voice of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Our host, Christina Sasso, is a senior pastor at Freedom Fellowship Church. Let's hear what she has to say to the body of Christ. Hello, thank you for tuning in. This is Joshua Sasso. And you are listening to the prophetic voice of our time. I'm so happy to be speaking with you. And those of you that are listening to this broadcast, you should know that me and Pastor Chris, were still in the Philippines, but we're coming to the end of our trip. And we're very excited to tell you about the things that God has been doing in the Philippines. And so look forward to a good report in the near future. God's moving, not just in the Philippines, but he's also moving in America. And we have to continue to have faith in God. Something I had talked about last time I was speaking with you guys was that we need to value the calling of God and see it as a precious, precious treasure that is far more valuable than anything we have in our own life. It says in Matthew chapter 13, and I am starting this at verse 44 in the NIV version, and this is Jesus speaking. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the picture of what us stepping into the calling of God is like, which is that when God calls us, that becomes the most valuable thing in our life and the biggest priority for us more valuable than anything we own or anything we have unto ourselves. And the reason why I'm starting with this parable again is because many Christians, when when they look at things like sacrifices to God and, and surrendering things to God, sometimes, especially in things that they hold near and dear to their heart, they look at God with suspicion, which is that if I give this up, right, I'm, I'm never going to have it, right? I don't want to give this up because I hold it so dear to myself, and I don't want to trust somebody else with this, right? They think that by giving this up, they're missing out. This is actually a big deception that really many Christians fall into. And you see this, you know, many, many young Christians, they get tempted by the world, which is that, oh, well, you know, if you don't try this or you don't try that, you're really missing out. You know, it's your youth. You should go out and you should have fun, right? It's the deception where If you walk down the straight and narrow that God has for you, you are missing out in life and other people will have a more enjoyable experience and a better life because they got to go out and they got to have fun, right? In the same way too, if God is saying, don't go that way, right? Don't do that. Sometimes Christians will also look at God with suspicion. Oh, why is God trying to punish me in this way, right? I just want to have this thing. I just want to do this or that right? Why can't I do this? You see, in the case of this parable, both with the man who discovered the treasure in the field and also the merchant who found the fine pearl, both of them, they, when they went to sell everything they had, they weren't downtrodden or depressed or sad, right? They had to give something up, but they did it joyfully because the reason why they did it joyfully is because they saw they had discovered a far, far greater treasure than what they had for themselves. God is trying to give us 
that precious treasure, that great gift that's so much greater than anything we could have in our own lives. So it's not that we're going to suffer and we're going to live a boring life and we're going to be missing out in life. No, you're going to experience a far richer, more fulfilling, abundant, and blessed life than if you had done things your own way. But all of this goes back to what is your perception of God? How do you view God, right? Is God this dictator that's staring down from above and, oh, don't do that, right? And then he's going to punish you if you do wrong. Many Christians, they might have this kind of perception that God's just looking out to punish you. But the truth is, God wants to bless you immensely, and he has a grand destiny for you where you are called to greatness, to do great things in his name. But you have to step completely out of the old. Completely, right? The dead man has to be completely done away with. Because something that cannot be done is we cannot half-heartedly implement God's system. We have to be 100% God's way. It cannot be half-half. And this is where many Christians get into trouble because they will try to follow God, but they'll do it studying aspects of how the world does business or how the world does this or that. They will implement aspects of the Babylonian system, the kingdom of God, and your calling. It's an all-or-nothing game. You have to be all-in on God's ways of doing things. Otherwise, you're like a lukewarm Christian. You have to be all-in. And this is the reason why many Christians, signs and wonders are not following them. Because as I had said last time I spoke with you guys, these signs will follow them that believe. They're going to lay hands on the sick. They're going to speak in other tongues. They're going to cast out demons. They're going to drink deadly poison and not die, right? All of these supernatural things are supposed to follow believers. So if that's not happening in your life, you know, you can try to blame God. But the truth is, God is perfectly willing and able to manifest the supernatural in your life. Which means there's something in our faith walk that's missing. How much do you value the calling of God? Are you willing to make it to where your schedule and your priorities and your ambitions bend to God's will? Because as I had mentioned last time with Abraham, Abraham was willing to leave everything. And when God said, now take your only son Isaac and sacrifice him to me. The scripture says that early the next morning, Abraham left and took Isaac. Now, this is something where looking at it from an outside perspective, it almost looks cruel. You know what I'm saying? If Imagine, right? You have to put yourself in Abraham's shoes where Isaac is the child of the promise. Here, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they haven't been able to have kids and he's old at this point. Okay. So this is the kind of thing where for years and years and years, he was praying to God. He was believing for God, hoping it would come to pass, right? And many Christians, they have this thing where they're really standing in faith and they're really praying and believing in God that, God, I just really want this. I just really want to manifest. When's it going to happen, right? And they've just been fasting and praying and hoping it'll come to pass. Here, Isaac was the child of the promise. This is the child that God promised to Abraham, okay? That thing that he had been so desiring to have, and now God says, surrender him to me. Sacrifice your only son. But even though this was the dearest thing 
and the closest thing to Abraham's heart, Abraham was willing to trust God. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac had died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And, and it's true in the sense that it, did, it seems contradictory. Here God was promising this is what's going to happen, right? And now, I, and now he's saying, now kill your son and surrender him to me, right? Imagine how much trusting God Abraham had to have, okay? But this is the amazing part because as, as Abraham was willing to surrender his son, the thing most precious to him, he surrendered him to God. Not only does Abraham receive his son back, but God responds in kind. And he says, okay, what I spoke over you is going to manifest. Through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Your descendants will be like the sands on the sea. And I'm going to send my one and only son to die on behalf of your descendants. You see, God, Abraham received his son back and God gave him far, far, far more than Abraham didn't even realize. And this is what it's like in this day, which is that we have to be able to surrender even those things that are precious and dear to our hearts. Just give them to God and say, God, it's in your hands. I'm giving it to you, right? Because I trust you. When we do that, not only do... Because God knows the desires of your heart. God knows those things that are dear to you. And the truth is, God loves you even more than you love yourself. And let's face it, there's a lot of us that maybe love ourselves maybe a little bit too much, right? <laughs> so in, in giving those things that are dear to our hearts, not only will you receive them back, but you'll receive a far, far greater reward in return. And that's part of what it's like for this parable, right? We're going back to the parable that Jesus talked about, about this treasure hidden in a field. The man, in his joy, went and sold everything that he owns to buy that field because he knew, I'm going to be way better off if I'm able to buy that field. <coughs> it's the same for us today, okay? When God has called you, it's so much bigger and so much grander than anything you could plan for yourself. So let's, say, let's trust God and recognize the value of the calling he has placed on our lives. And there's no better way to illustrate this than the story of Elijah and Elisha, okay? Because Elisha, man, he was a go-getter. When, when God appeared in his life and gave him an opportunity, God opened that door, Elisha, he took a hold of it and he made sure, you know what, I'm not going to let anything get in the way of stepping into this calling that God has placed on my life. Even though Elijah actively put a number of roadblocks in an attempt to maybe dissuade him or test him, okay? It says in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting with verse 19, I'm reading in the NLT version, it says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? And this is 
the first kind of, you know, test that Elisha receives. Because to start things off, Elisha recognized what was happening. Okay? When Elijah, I'm going to emphasize the Ja versus the Sha to make it a little easier. When Elijah threw his cloak around Elisha, Elisha recognized that this is a passing of the mantle. Okay? This is the calling of God happening right now. Right? And Elijah didn't even say anything. He just threw the mantle on and he walked away. But Elisha said, no, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do everything I can to be in his presence. Right? And Elijah, the way he replies, well, what have I done to you? Do whatever you want. Right? You don't need to follow me. Do whatever you want. And this is the first instance where many Christians, they might fail here. Because in this instance, imagine if Elijah says, sure, whatever. Do whatever you want. You don't have to follow. You can do whatever. If they had said that, maybe to me, I might be like, oh, okay, so I guess I don't have to leave my family. I guess I can just do whatever. It's fine. He said it's fine. The prophet said it's fine. So I guess I'll just, I guess I'll just go about business as usual, right? But Elisha wasn't having any of that because he was so, he so valued this calling of God that he wasn't going to take any chances. He was going to follow. He was 100% all in and chasing after what God had for him. So it says in verse 21, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. This was his livelihood, right? It says that he had 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair, okay? So all of his oxen that he was plowing this field with, he killed them. That was his trade. That was his business. Then he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became a servant. And this is a really symbolic kind of image because it's showing Elisha is showing God, I don't have any backup plan. I am 100% all in on what you have for me. I'm going 100% of the way where you're taking me. And I'm not going to go back to my old, right? It's a closing of that door and going into the door that God opened, right? And I'm not telling you to quit your job. What I'm telling you to do is... When God directs you down a path, you need a purpose in your heart that you're going to go all in on what God is telling you to do. The halfway obedience is not going to cut it in these days. So it continues in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, and this is the NIV version. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Here's another instance where Elijah is kind of being a deterrent. The company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elijah and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? These are other prophets. Yes, I know, Elijah replied, so be quiet. So Elisha knew what God was going to do. So he was remaining vigilant to ensure he would be there when Elijah was taken up into heaven. He's like, I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to miss any opportunity, right? If he goes to the bathroom, I'm probably going to be there. If he goes to this town, I'm going to be there. I'm going to always be around him because I know God's about to take Elijah up into a whirlwind. Elisha knew what was at stake. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. It's another roadblock that Elijah is trying to put in his path. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know 
that the Lord is going to take your master from you today. Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Man, look at the boldness of this man. Because Elijah was already the most famous prophet in the land at the time. And Elisha's saying, you know what? No, I'm going to shoot for as high as I can possibly go, as far as I can possibly go. So let me have a double portion of your spirit. And this is part of the reason why you might see some pastors where they say, oh, well, you know, you can't be more anointed than you're covering, right? You have to submit to this ministry. You can't surpass those that are mentoring you, okay? All of these things are man-made systems that are trying to limit the body of Christ, and the vast majority of it is centered around ego, around legacy, and them trying to make a name for themselves. The kind of attitude we need in the body of Christ is that, you know what, as far as my faith can take me, that's as far as I'm going to go, right? We need the attitude that we're going to take things higher and higher. Because Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater than these because I'm going to the Father. That's what Jesus said, right? And that's a high bar. So Jesus laid the expectation that we're supposed to do greater things here on earth than he did on the earth, okay? So really, if you're in a position of spiritual leadership, and this is to the pastors out there, you should be preparing people to surpass you. And you should be encouraging people, right? If somebody is really hungry for God, you should be equipping them so that one day maybe they'll surpass you. Because the truth is we laid some groundwork so that the future generations can go further. And, you know, that takes some humility on our part. But that's the way God operates. If Jesus himself was preparing his disciples to do greater works, we have to do the same. Now that's an aside, okay? So, Elisha, let me have a double portion of your spirit. You've asked a very difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. This is what was at stake. Okay, and this is why there were so many tests of Elisha's faith. Did he have the faith and the passion and the perseverance to hold on to what God had for him? Because if you can be dissuaded by these little things, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. That's not a good idea, right? If you can be dissuaded, by the words of man, then you are not ready to step into a higher level of anointing. I want to go back to this image of this man who bought the field with the treasure in it, right? Imagine he went, he saw this treasure in the field, he buried it, and he starts selling everything he had. And his friends started telling him, why are you doing that? He said, oh, I want to buy that field on, you know, Baker Street or whatever. I want to go buy that field over there. And they start saying, oh man, no, that field's trash. There's nothing good there. Have you seen the real estate prices? It's not worth it, right? The housing market's terrible. It's a terrible time, you know, to buy land, right? All the economists are saying this. All the economists are saying that. If that man had been dissuaded by his friends, he would not receive that treasure, right? And this doesn't happen in the parable. What I'm saying is that this happens to many Christians. 
which is that God will tell them something. Do this. Go do that. And then opinions of man start to make their way in. Sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's other Christians. Sometimes it's their own family members or their own spouse. Okay? When God tells you to do something, that should be your guiding light. That's your direction to step into your higher calling and to receive your blessing. Right? So if this man, I'm going to go buy that field. Right? Because he knew the treasure that was there. That's the thing. He knew what was there. When God spoke something in your life, it's going to come to pass so long as you have the faith and the perseverance to hold on to that promise. Do not let anybody talk you out of obeying God. You have to obey God no matter what. And this is the reason why Elisha, he received that double portion of Elijah's anointing because he had the perseverance to not be dissuaded by anything, right? Because understand, even in this situation, Elijah was in authority over him, right? He was Elijah's servant. And here Elijah's saying, stay here, stay here. God sent me over to the Jordan. I'm just going to go there a minute. I'll be right back, right? And Elijah's saying, no, surely not. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. Because Elijah had already received an understanding of the kind of work that God was doing. Maybe he didn't know the details, but he definitely knew something was up because when the company of prophets appeared, they said, you know, God's going to take your master away from you. And he said, yes, I know. So be quiet. So Elijah knew something was up. Okay. So he didn't even let the words of the man he was serving to dissuade him from obeying God. This is the kind of attitude we need to have. You have to be like a bulldog. You're going to take a hold of it. You're not going to let it go. Okay. And it's those people that do that that are going to be the forerunners in this move of God that is happening now. And so right after they have this conversation, Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind. And the double portion of his anointing went on Elisha. It says, you know, after this happened, verse 13, it says, Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And remember how they went there, right? Elijah, he hit the water and it parted. So it says, he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. And he said, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And he asked, when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over immediately, right? It didn't take days or years. Immediately, the supernatural started to follow Elisha. And he had the faith. He said, look, Elijah parted the waters on the way here. So if I've got a double portion of his anointing, I should be able to at least do that, right? We need that kind of faith, guys. And I'm going to end with this because the most shocking thing about this story is that why was it only Elisha that decided he wanted to be present when Elijah was taken up? Because we know when they went to Bethel, the company of prophets there came up and they said, you know, Elijah's being taken up. Then they went over to Jericho and the company of prophets there also said, you know, your master, he's going to be taken up into heaven. You see, Those other prophets also heard what was happening from God, but they were content to be spectators. Only those that are so desperate for the move of God, that are going to chase after God so much, that want to be actively involved in his move, are going to be the forerunners in the move of God. We don't even know the names of these other prophets from the company of prophets. Because, yeah, okay, well, we, I had a word of knowledge, right? Oh, God can use me. But they weren't desperate and passionate about chasing after and being present in the move of God. 
Because I want to. I would have wanted to be there to see somebody taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire, right? But no, they were content to be spectators. So you have to decide for yourself: Are you going to be a spectator, or are you going to be actively a part of this great move of God? Because those of you that decide, you know what, I'm going to obey God no matter what. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter if they're smarter than me, if they have more authority than me. If God told me to do something, I'm going to do it and I'm not going to let go of it. Right? If you take that attitude and you start implementing today, then yes, you will be a forerunner in this great move of God that is happening today. So take that to heart. But I'm out of time for this week, so I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget. It is implementation time. Start implementing. Again, my name is Joshua Sasso, and you've been listening to the prophetic voice of our time. Till next time, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the prophetic voice of our time. We really hope you were blessed by today's episode. And if you were, we want to hear from you. You can call us at 210-695-1630. Or you can email us at sogmi at outlook.com. That's S-O-G-M-I at outlook.com. And we really encourage you to visit our website, sogmi.org. That is S-O-G-M-I dot org. That's where you can listen to previous episodes of this podcast and even support this podcast. We're supported by listeners just like you. So if you want to support this ministry, you can go to SOGMI.org and hit the donate button. You can also send a check to P.O. Box 1579, Helotus, Texas 78023. Again, that is P.O. Box 1579, Helotus, Texas 78023.